Hello and welcome to Special Measures, an educational podcast. This is episode 11. Um, as if we're double digits, Molly, that's exciting. <laughs> it is very exciting. It's very exciting. I'm your co-host, Dean Osgood, and I'm joined by my other co-host, Molly Atkinson. Molly, how are we? Have we had a good week? We have had a good week, yeah. It's been a lovely week. It's the summer holidays still, so very much enjoying being being off, being at home. Although I did have one, I was telling um, I was telling my friend that um, I saw one of my neighbours the other day and they were like asking us about me and Matty about work and you know, or what are we doing at the moment, are we at home? And I was like, oh well, I was like, it's the summer holidays so I'm actually not at work at the moment. And they went, oh, what a life a teacher has, eh? And I was like, mm, I'm just going to bite my tongue and not say anything, but I was rather annoyed. Oh. <laughs> Do not get me started on that. I hate people that say that to me at the minute. Like, mm, you haven't done anything for the past five months. And I'm like, well, actually, let me tell you, I go off on a rampage on them sometimes, you know. <laughs> I thought I best not because they were a neighbour, but, you know. Well, well, yeah, you have to see them every day. Yeah. But next time I come up, I'll go and knock <laughs> and be like, <laughs> heard you hate teachers, <laughs> eh? <laughs> sort of kicking off on them. Um so you've just been at home pottering about yeah relaxing yeah just just enjoying chilling <laughs> just that's me too yeah um i there's a no a notable thing that's happened to me this week molly go on then i've become a teacher instagrammer okay so i am now on instagram yeah as the lgbt teacher again I was it's say, my second go yeah at it. But I'm back, a new profile. Yeah. Starting, mingling, CPD, getting involved with other teachers. I've got 300 followers. Wow, amazing. Can you send some of them out of Oh, I've been plugging the podcast. Oh, God. Don't worry. Good, good. So I'm an influencer with 300 followers now, aren't I? I, I mean, I don't know what the, uh, <laughs> what is the, like... I don't, is there a set number that you have to achieve to become an influencer? I feel like it's okay. Right. Well, we'll say like it's yeah. Okay. We'll influencer. say it's three hundred. <laughs> so, like, I've got a brand deal and everything. A brand deal. Mad. Yeah, brand deal. Imagine. What What's the brand? Well, it doesn't exist yet, but I will get a brand oh, deal. Oh, okay. Point, okay. I? I thought that was something that had already. <laughs> no like hello fresh better health they're bound to sponsor me at some point now i'm an influencer mm-hmm. yeah you they are you let me know anyway, when you get that phone Molly. call i mean <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be there being like yes hello fresh <laughs> i'm surprised you don't do hello fresh because that's quite middle class isn't it i don't like, i've never heard of hello fresh what is hello fresh are you messing no, honestly i haven't hello so you pick like four or five meals that you want to have that week and then they send the food to you pre-portioned in like a nice big cool box and you make the food oh that is a good idea it's very middle class but it's all pre-portioned so it takes out like the pain out of cooking and portion control is something that i probably need to work on so that would be quite good for me oh you me too and it did i got it for a while you know did it it's good was it it nice was the food nice really nice and it's like stuff that you would never usually cook mm. you can get your first box for like 10 15 pound because that's with code requires improvement. <laughs> 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 
Well, that's the thing. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm so bored of cooking now in, in like COVID stuff because it's just like normally you would have a meal out or you might do something else through the way out of the week, but it just seems to be cooking laboriously at home every night and it's like I'm bored now. That's the event now, isn't yeah. it? Like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start preparing my meal five hours early today. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that'd that be a good idea event. to try some new things. And Molly, I am very excited. Yes, I am as well. I am very, very excited. We've got a guest. We have got a guest. <laughs> yeah. A very, very special guest. <laughs> would you like to introduce our guest, Molly? Yeah, I would. So this week we have got um, Anthea Bancraft. Bancraft? Bancroft. I should have said that properly. Bancroft. Um, who is um, a very good friend of mine. Now, we met at university but not the same university that me and Dean went to because if for those of you that don't know I did a year at St Mary's in London Twickenham um, so me and Anthea met there and um, we were both studying there was three different drama courses at St Mary's so I was doing physical theatre and Anthea was doing theatre arts um, but we both lived in the same halls, so we met there and got on because of our love of drama. But Anthea um, stayed at Twickenham for the full three years, and then she went on to work with a theatre company after she graduated. And then she trained to be a secondary school teacher, and she did that in London as well. So she's worked in a school in London, and now she lives in Cornwall, which is where she's originally from. Um, and she teaches sec- at a secondary school in Cornwall as well. So she's been, how many years have you teach? Uh, this is the end of my fourth year. Four years teaching. Mm-hmm. So lots to talk about. <laughs> I'm very excited to have another drama teacher on. I feel like we're a dying breed of teacher. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, a rare breed, definitely. And I think I think rightly so, because I think you have to be a special sort of person to be a drama <laughs> teacher in school. <laughs> Yeah, genuinely, you actually have to, don't you? And you have to put up with all the other stuff from the other teachers being like, you don't actually teach a proper subject, which annoys me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they forget that you also have to plan. You also have to to mark things, even though it might not be, you know, work in books. It's it's just different, isn't it? But you also have to be like a performer for the whole day, which is the most tiring. Because you do your warm-ups, you're playing your games. And then, I love a lot of teacher in role so any opportunity I get yeah. to act I act <laughs> so that knackers me out Definitely. yeah yeah and I think as well as a teacher you've got your like teacher persona already so you're then kind of acting on top of the acting that you're already doing just to be a teacher inception acting a high high level acting yeah because <laughs> you've got your teaching I, I like that I'm gonna rob that <laughs> it's layered so what is your favourite thing about teaching drama in schools? Um, just the unpredictability of it. You don't know what on earth they're going to come up with. Um, <laughs> a lot of the drama that I've taught has been very much about improvisation. We, we don't do a lot of script work. Um, or at, certainly at my last school, we did very little script work. It was all purely improvisation. And just the craziness that happens within that 50-minute lesson, it, it's, it's quite staggering. You know, you can be in 
I don't know, a rocket ship on an alien planet and then the next minute you're in a jungle in South America and um, it's just wonderful to see their kind of imaginations at play. They come up with the strangest things, don't they? Like, mm, absolutely. but it's amazing and it's like, you, that's exactly what you want. I, ha- I had a year seven yeah. once do a 25 minute production about a cat going to a kitty disco. <laughs> <laughs> And wow. I, I didn't have the heart to stop it because she was loving it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's just chance for them to play, and they don't really, particularly when they get to secondary school. Like playing isn't cool anymore. And actually, they need to mess around. They need to like do something a little bit silly and a bit out of their comfort zone. And yeah, my favourites are when they like pretend to be teachers at the school <laughs> and they do the best impressions of the teachers oh i love that and you're like i'm not sure if i should be laughing at this but i am <laughs> I'm, i always do that i'm like come on give me your impressions tell me what what's happening what do the kids think yeah. of the teachers that's my favorite thing <laughs> yeah. especially for role play i do that a lot with role play get them to like impersonate yeah. people do you know what i yeah. did once I did a whole verbatim, um, like an undercover verbatim um, scheme of work. So the kids had to go into yeah. other teachers' lessons and write down word for word what they say oh, <laughs> when they're telling someone off. That's cool. Bring it back to my lesson the next week and then we'd act them out with, with the verbatim script. <laughs> I bet they loved that. They absolutely loved it. The other teachers did not, but they loved it. <laughs> no. <laughs> but who cares? It's all about the kids. <laughs> We've been chatting though, but what I find interesting is obviously Anthea does teach drama, but she's been saying how kind of um, when they're studying plays in English, particularly kind of Shakespeare ones, um, how beneficial it is to see performances of those plays or performances of like Shakespeare, um, because it really helps the children to like understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think like it's again what we've talked about before it's not just having to teach drama in a drama classroom it's how it can work and yeah. is beneficial to so many other subjects yeah definitely i don't think it's possible to teach a play in english without watching even just bits of it if not the whole thing and there's such a stigma about you know videos in classrooms and showing bits of films and it's so ridiculous like shakespeare was never writing a book he was writing something that was meant to be performed so how can you possibly sit and read it and get the same experiences if you're if you're living it if you're watching it if you are part of that audience who were you know with their chins on the stage at the globe theater you need that experience to be able to to really understand it and it it annoys me when i see like schemes of work for I don't know, let's say Romeo and Juliet, and there isn't a single element of any drama, whether it's watching it or acting it out within that scheme. It's so silly. I 100% agree with that. (laughs) Like, 100% agree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, as well, does it infuriate you that drama doesn't have a curriculum at Key Stage 3? Yes, it's awful. It's so bad, because it's life skills. Like, what is more important than drama in terms of preparing them for everything they're going to need when they're an adult? And no other teachers realise that we don't have a curriculum. Like, um, so I'm technically leading my subject because I'm the only teacher that does it. So I went for a meeting with the assistant head and my head of faculty. And they were like, have you brought the curriculum with you? I was like, what curriculum? (laughs) But to bring me back to the point that you were making, drama in Key Stage 3 is a paragraph in the English curriculum. 
Mm-hmm. So it should be taught as drama, especially plays like Romeo and Juliet and things like that. It should be taught be- because it's in the curriculum to be taught as part of speaking and listening. I get very, Absolutely. I get really passionate about that, really. Like, <laughs> yeah. What were you saying as well about what's they, what have they changed with the GCSE for speaking and listening? Oh, so because of coronavirus, obviously the government has released all the latest guidance about what will now not be happening um, for the new year 11s. But the only change that's been made for English is removing the speaking and listening exam. Now, a lot of people do that early on to get it out of the way because it's not actually part of the GCSE. And this is what people don't realise. It's a separate qualification. They don't have to pass the speaking and listening to get whatever grade in their GCSE. It's a separate certificate. So by removing that, the students still have to sit for... English exams which are between like an hour and 45 minutes and two hours and 15 minutes they've still got to cover all of the content of the course and they've now got you know like two-thirds of the amount of time to do it in and it's such a shame really um yeah who comes up with these ideas like I would love to know (laughs) obviously people that haven't been in a school get them on the podcast (laughs) The other side of it as well, though, is kind of how quickly they've just cut the speaking and listening side of it. And actually, like, how much more beneficial are speaking and listening skills really in the long run Mm -hmm. than kind of doing an actual written written exam kind of thing? It's Mm -hmm. and and as a society, it like we're depending more and more on speaking and listening as opposed to written kind written, handwritten or sitting exams like you say mm-hmm. so that's the other frustrating side of it as well it's ridiculous it hasn't been thought through but also how kind of haphazardly they've just gone oh we'll just cut that bit because it's not important and actually there should be a massive push on speaking and listening in all areas of the curriculum oh 100 percent. like it's because they push literacy massively but part of literacy is oracy and being mm-hmm. able to like do that and I think in 10, 15 years time, this country is going to have a massive skills shortage. Yeah. Because we're moving forward into jobs like, we're moving forward into jobs that don't exist right now. Mm -hmm. We're moving forward into creative jobs. And right now, we're not teaching our students to be critical thinkers. We're not teaching them to be creative. We're not giving them that opportunity. Like, and the subjects that do are getting cut, getting stripped back. Like, I know my time with Key Stage 3 and drama is just get, getting smaller and smaller every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's appalling, really, because, you know, I think particularly in the age that we live in, where communication now is predominantly over some sort of internet mm-hmm. form or is, you know, in a text message. And actually, I do think we're losing the art of verbal communication yeah. naturally in our lives. So I do think it's up to schools to kind of to, to fill that gap, to sort of do something to counteract, um, you know, these students who can't hold a conversation anymore because they're not used to that sort of interaction. Oh, 100%. Do you teach drama at Key Stage 4? Um, I don't at the moment. I did at my previous school, but um, but I don't have for a couple of years. So, yeah, it's a bit nasty. <laughs> So that's annoying with the changes they're making to drama at Key Stage 4 for GCSE. So yeah. I teach the AQA spec for GCSE. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So bear in mind that we've missed a whole term. Mm-hmm. The considerations they've made is that 
everything can be 30 seconds shorter in performance. What? That's nothing. That's the, that's the consideration. If they can be 30 seconds shorter. How madness I, it serves. They've still got to do a devised piece. They've still got to do two monologues um, mm-hmm. and then all the written work and the written exam to go with that. But, like, that is no consideration. I was fuming, yeah. filling out the survey, like, this is appalling. And usually, I don't know if this is the same in your experience, Dean, but certainly from my experience is that the kids don't struggle coming up with stuff. Like, length is never, ever an issue. It's it's more that you kind of have to, to cut it back. So removing 30 seconds is going to make zero difference whatsoever, potentially just making their lives harder because they've got more that they have to get rid of. Massively so, because kids can't edit, they can't refine. No. You ha- it's a skill that you have to hammer in with them. And even yeah. still, you have to sit there and direct out. You're being like, Ooh, we don't really mm. need that two and a half yeah. minute monologue about how sad you are. <laughs> Let's cut Absolutely. that out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My favourite so thing is when kids see. feel like they're being really like artsy and really like, yeah. <laughs> really like mature by doing like a five minute monologue about how heartbroken they are. Yeah, I think that's so interesting, though, because I think that's just highlighting how little opportunity they get to have a voice so often where they're Mm -hmm. actually speaking and talking for a period of time. And I think sometimes they get to a drama lesson and it's a bit of an emotional outpouring because they don't get chance to do it. Um, It's yeah, I've been doing a lot of work at my school lately about um, like vocabulary and looking at how we can. Um, basically use vocabulary to kind of bridge the gap between um, lower attaining students and higher attaining students and it's there's so many brilliant studies out there about how many words children are exposed to um, at home if they are from certain social backgrounds so uh, you know I'm gonna get these figures wrong and please forgive me (laughs) and go google it but um, it's something like students who are from low-income families are exposed to something like three million fewer words than students from higher-income families. And you've got to think those words aren't just individual words, those are conversations, those are interactions, that those students, because their parents are working three jobs and you know out working night shifts and whatever it might be, they're not getting that same exposure to just talking and being able to express themselves as um, perhaps some of our students from higher income backgrounds and that's why drama is so important as a as a sort of way of getting kids to just express themselves and have the chance to and that has the knock-on effect as well doesn't it because those children from the lower income families that aren't getting that vocabulary widened when they have children they're not going to be mm-hmm. able to pass that down because they haven't exactly. been exposed to it yeah, it just gets narrower and narrower and, you know, there's less time in families now for like reading bedtime stories and some families can't even afford the luxury of buying a book to read as a bedtime story and you just think, well, what are those children missing out on and why aren't we as schools? Obviously we can't fix every problem and we definitely don't get paid enough or enough hours in the day to fix every problem, but we need to be doing whatever we can to make up that that gap to stop that continuing over the generations like you say and the government as well because things like libraries are closing at like an alarming rate mm. yeah, like, yeah i don't even know if they're open now after covid like i think they're just starting to open but mm-hmm. it's it's true because obviously i work with younger children and those that read at home or have bedtime stories 
read to them, you can see the um, the impact that has on them, not just on an academic level, obviously it does, but socially wise as well. They're a lot more kind of aware of other people's feelings and emotions and, and know how to kind of communicate their own emotions as well. Um, whereas those that kind of don't read at home, I'm not saying they all struggle socially, but that you can see that they're not as mature as as those that are like having access to like Anthea says that communication at home and those that opportunities to read at night and things like that a hundred percent and it's academic as well because to access the GCSE English exam you need a reading age of 18 to 21 that which is the equivalent of reading like the Guardian you need to be able to read the Guardian and understand that word for word to access the exam properly it's interesting as well because I do exam marking at GCSE and I mark the language paper and part of that is um, a piece of creative writing where they're given a picture or a title or like the opening sentence and they have to write a little short description. And in the examiner training, what the, the main driving factor to move students up between the bands on the mark scheme is the vocabulary that they use. So if they haven't got that vocabulary already, they're really limited to where they can get on the mark scheme they're only going to get in probably the bottom two bands maybe the third band out of you know which limits them to like 12 out of 24 marks which isn't fair it's really not is it oh i get so annoyed thinking about all this yeah (laughs) angry Putting it on a positive note, though, that Anthea's been doing lots of work with um, Year 9 English planning, um, and she was telling me that she's just put in a module, uh, very, a short one, about Blood Brothers. Um, and, yes. And it's to help with their inference skills, isn't it? And yeah. it's, like, to do with... Well, you talk about it anyway, because it's your thing. So the plan <laughs> is they're going <laughs> to... They're going to look at Blood Brothers, and we're going to watch a version of it, and they're going to look at, like... Um, the decisions that the director has made in that production. So why is the, the lighting red at this point? Why are the two brothers wearing these similar outfits, but what's different about them and what does that tell us? And it's kind of like getting in the head of a director. And that is, it's A, a key skill at GCSE because they need to be able to look at something and make inferences about it. But also it's kind of that idea of like, um, that directors, that actors, that writers all make choices. And I think a lot of the time, certainly as an English teacher, the question I get asked the most is, oh, but miss, did the writer really think that? Or did they just put a comma in there because they felt like it? (laughs) Actually, students find it really hard to see past, you know, a writer can just write beautifully and they just sit down and write one day compared to the actual process, which is much more crafting, which is very similar to what happens in a theatre. You try something, it works, it doesn't work, you change it, you think, well, this can be enhanced by using this lighting or this costume and I think it's going to be really interesting and will kind of open the students eyes up to a whole nother world because we can introduce them to to backstage choices and things then which they probably don't have any idea about. So there are amazing teachers out there, Anthea being one of them, who are, <laughs> who so are sure. trying to <laughs> trying to help our system and help those children <laughs> out there. That. <laughs> yeah that that is so good because if they'd be able to see it on the stage but also that's transferable then isn't it to when they do come to like the text aspect exactly like one of the texts we study at GCSE is an inspector calls oh I love and that yeah love that play. but all of the kind of nuances of it are in the stage directions 
like when the inspector first enters there's a spotlight on him well that's massive like that tells us everything you need to know about the inspector's character by the fact there's a spotlight on him right from the start um and if they don't have the skills to understand what that lighting means then how can they possibly get those kind of higher um level ideas if you like if if they don't have it i love an inspector calls yeah, I, I really do. do. Well, such a good ha- ha- have you seen the National Theatre's version of it? You know what? I haven't, and I feel like a terrible teacher. And had, <laughs> it was is that the one that was touring? Because mm. I had tickets to see it. Yeah, I had tickets to see it, but because of Corona, I didn't get to see it. But we were supposed to be going to see it. My school oh. went, and they said it was brilliant. I imagine it is. Yeah, mm. yeah. The the set design on that was fantastic. Like, they had this house kind of like on stilts, and as the play progressed, the house started to fall apart and start to crumble, and like different aspects of it ah. fell. And like, that was really good for inference. Just that whole thing. There's clips of it on YouTube. Yeah, oh, I, I think. What version of Blood Brothers are you going to show your students? Well, there's a few on YouTube that I've been looking at. There's one that's done by an American theatre company. So theatre are a little bit questionable. Yes, it's That's so dodgy. Yeah. yeah, but what I like about it is they've got really interesting lighting and set choices. So that's one mm-hmm. of them I'm looking at. But then I'm hoping that there must be somewhere in some internet archive one of the like a film of the West End show when it was on or or one of the tour or something. So I'm hoping I can you know ferret one of them out do you know i've looked and looked and i can never find like a decent copy there's like ones that yeah. people have um filmed from the audience but right, i use okay. that i use that theater ink one for because i blood brothers is my set text for yeah. gcse drama so i use that one because it's just mm-hmm. so good because it's it's not what you'd go and see on 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 the tour it's completely different no. set design and as you say um and sometimes i have to teach design modules of blood brothers yeah. kids get so stuck in what they know and just design that mm-hmm. it's hard to get them to think outside the box so that is a perfect example for that and it's free yeah. exactly and i think as well because it isn't like a big fancy set most of the set is made up of these kind of like cardboard boxes isn't it with things written on them to give a clue about where they are um in the in the world of blood brothers um and i think it just shows that you can make theater out of anything you don't need you know big fancy patterned curtains or things flying in and out you, you can do it with a few boxes and a door and, and you sort it yes so um <laughs> molly was saying in your introduction that you taught in london yes how was that what was what was the experience of teaching in london versus teaching in cornwall it was very different. I think as well because I trained in London, so it was all I knew at that point. And I did the Teach First programme. So basically you have six weeks of summer school where you learn everything you need to know, supposedly, about teaching. And then from <laughs> September, you are teaching in a room on your own. There's no observations. You have your own classes that you have complete autonomy over. And it's great because it's hands-on straight away and you learn a lot really, really quickly, which is fantastic. Um, but, oh my goodness, was it challenging when you've got a room of, you know, I've I've lived a very lovely, sheltered life in Cornwall and all of a sudden I'm in a room with 30 teenagers from London who are 
much more streetwise than I will ever be and who can probably smell the fear in me. (laughs) 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 And it it was very eye-opening, you know, it was it was almost a bit of a culture shock really because I had no idea that there were kids out there living in such extreme circumstances and living in these kind of, you know, this inner city life. I was very, very naive about it all. But actually the, the kids are amazing. I think because they come from a deprived area, they are so humble and down to earth and they're so grateful for everything that you do for them, even if it's a tiny little thing. And it was just lovely. They sort of become like your family, really, by the end of it. Um, they're so used to change. So if you stay for a little while, you they trust you and they respect you. And it, it's, it's quite nice to sort of have that community feeling, I guess. You were saying as well that Anthea obviously lives in Cornwall and she'd shown them pictures of her on the beach in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. And the children in London didn't believe that that was England. No, they were adamant that I'd photoshopped it. Stop. Is that just because yeah. they'd never been out of London? Yeah, but to be honest, they so the school I taught in was near Heathrow Airport, so it's right on the fringe of London. But um, there was one day as well where we were talking about a poem, and it mentioned um, Nelson in the poem, and I said, oh, you know, he's that guy on top of the statue in Trafalgar Square, and this was a, you know, a top-set Year 11 class, and none of them had been into Trafalgar Square to see Nelson's column. They didn't know what I was talking about. And it's a 20 minute journey on the train, but that was the level of kind of deprivation that that the school was set in. They couldn't afford the train ticket into London. They they sort of didn't have the um, cultural capital and the knowledge of history and the world to know who Nelson was. And it was just, just mad. It's, it's, that is mad that, isn't it? Especially when they mm. live so close. And there yeah, is that whole yeah. thing that Offset is focused on now of cultural capital, isn't it? And I see why it's so important. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just vital, yeah. I know a lot of our listeners are trainee teachers or about to start their, their trainee teacher journey. Um, mm-hmm. You did Teach First. My knowledge yeah. of Teach First, is that right? Did I get it right? Yeah. <laughs> my, my knowledge of Teach First is limited to that BBC Three programme, Tough Young Teachers. Yes. Did you ever watch that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched that. I'll have to watch that. Mm-hmm. It's on iPlayer. It's really, really good. Oh, I'm going to watch that. That does. I it's didn't. Really I've never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. You'll enjoy it. But my question is, what mm-hmm. advice would you give to someone that's about to start a um, Teach First program? Mm-hmm. So, you're you when you're about to start Teach First all you hear is how horrible it's going to be because it's intense you know you you literally are pretty much a a fully fledged teacher I kind of say that with much caution but you're you're in the classroom you're on a a fairly full-time table your classes are your own you're responsible for their results from day one so there's a lot of kind of fear-mongering ahead of it people saying and I don't think this is just for Teach First I think it's for all training programs you'll hear a lot of people telling you it's going to be the worst year of your life and it just isn't yes it's hard there's no getting over that but the joy that it brings as well I think just gets forgotten about um so yeah just don't listen to anybody who tells you it's awful because it's not (laughs) 
I think as well with teacher training, you've got to let go of someone's hand at some point, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Like, and and I know it's I know it's a massive step because I know mine was held for quite a long time because I did I did a skit, um, but it's go- it's going to happen eventually you're not going to have someone to fall back on you're not going to have yeah. someone to you know tell you how to do everything mm-hmm. so sometimes it's a bit like a baptism of fire isn't it yeah. it's like it's better to rip the band-aid off now than exactly like, and that that was you know. the good thing about teach first is you had to be resilient because yeah. you were in there from day one so it, it taught you the kind of mental strength that you need to be a teacher very very quickly and i think that's why we have people dropping out of teaching because they they don't build that resilience necessarily um, that you need because it is a tough job there's no getting around that it's really hard and you'll have the lowest lows but you'll also have the highest highs I cried three times during my training yeah <laughs> it's hard yeah I think I cried daily <laughs> yeah I cried a lot as well a lot it's interesting isn't it because between the three of us we all did three different training paths so I did a school direct mm. mm-hmm which I think is somewhere in the middle of Teach First and Skit. Yeah. So I was based in a school for a year, but I had a mentor who would like... I'd had my own classes, but not as full-on as you did. Mm-hmm. But my mentor was there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's strange. Yeah. I think it's so interesting, sort of the different programmes, and it feels like there's quite a competition between like, oh, well you did this program or you did this program and that's good because of this but it's bad because of this and actually it's all just teacher training it doesn't matter how you do it we're kind of all in it together mm. and I don't think it should be as like separate as it perhaps is it's, at the moment. it's the same skill isn't it that you learn at the end of the day and you need to use each other as a resource exactly. yeah 100%. right I'm very aware of time and that we're nearly coming to the end of our episode <laughs> however tell me about hip-hop jungle book so um when i came out of uni for a year i worked as um an administrator for a theater company so it's called meta theater so a little shout out follow them on all social media because they're really good they do some really interesting work but while i was there the big project was planning a uk tour of jungle book but it was like hip hop style which sounds like it wouldn't work but it was it was brilliant it was so creative and we had so many really positive reviews of it um, because it was like making Disney very much accessible to a sort of modern audience. So, yeah, it was good. I love that. I'm going to go after this and try and find clips of it. <laughs> it just sounds amazing. You should. It's brilliant. We had like Bagheera was a um, a graffiti artist. And oh, it, it was so clever. I can take no credit for it. All I did was sell some tickets but it was phenomenal you got the you got the audience there that's important like you said credit for that no show without an audience i'm going to go and find it what were they called meta theater meta theater m-e-t-t-a theater fab and we can tag them in in our social media posts that you've talked yeah. about them if you'd like if it is that yeah. allowed do it yeah i'm sure yes um so we've got a new segment um, I think this is going to temporarily replace on the wall for the summer holidays because I think something's really important is coming up and it's September um, and we've got a lot of NQTs, we've got a lot of RQTs, we've got a lot of um, students about to be trainees that listen and I think not that we know everything 
but it'd be nice to kind of like share what we wish we knew as NQTs or as trainees. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Molly, what have we named the section? School survival skills. School Ta-da. survival skills. <laughs> <laughs> We need to get jingles made. I know. So bad. I know. So every week in the summer, we're going to share with you um, our top tips to survive your NQT year or your trainee year or things that we wish we would know. Who wants to go first? I've got one. Go on. Anyone who tells you, like there's lots of people who will say, don't smile until Christmas. Ignore them. Oh, yeah. They are talking rubbish. Put a great big smile on your face. Greet those kids with like a warm smile and and you'll be fine. <laughs> that is good advice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's important. I like it. Molly, what's yours? Right, I'm going to give a really practical one. Um, and actually someone gave it to me before I started. And I kind of like thought, really? Like, is that really going to benefit me that much? But buy, <laughs> buy your own laminator. Oh, yes. Because... <laughs> so but um if you're like me as well and like super organized and always got a to-do list and never can kind of sit still until something's done um you'll your school laminator will either be permanently broken permanently stolen by a different key stage or department (laughs) or just you'll won't have enough laminating pouches so if you want your displays sorting or anything laminating for your classroom i would recommend buying your own laminator Mm -hmm. and then i I either used to take mine into school with me and just plug it in my classroom and do a bit bobs, bits and bobs on a night, or keep it at home. It's up to you and um, and do your laminating at home. And it just—I know it sounds like I'm making more work for you, but actually, in the long run, it's less work because you'll, you like I say, you'll end up wasting so much time waiting for a laminator, and in that time, you could have got it done. I don't know. That's a primary thing. I don't no, know. I think, especially with coronavirus, you need stuff you can wipe down and reuse. There so you go. Laminators so are god from now. I had that piece of advice, and yes. I did buy one, and it's honestly, it's it's been one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given before I started. I like that. That is a key. I've got my own laminator. <laughs> my laminator's pat tested, so I can use it in school. <laughs> Uh, oh my god mine isn't and i used it in school (gasps) (gasps) i know there's Um... another piece of advice it's okay to make mistakes and it but also get things packed out soon it's fine (laughs) (laughs) that's three pieces of advice in one i like it um my piece of advice is um when i was training if one tiny thing went wrong in my lesson it would throw my whole lesson and to be fair it would throw my whole week because I'd just dwell on it. But the advice is to, if something goes wrong, everything goes wrong in your lesson. You, Your lesson will not go as you've planned it. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Your, your scheme of work will not go as you've planned it. And that's okay. <laughs> Does anything it, go to plan? <laughs> no, nothing goes to plan. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. absolutely you'll create beautiful medium term plans and not do half of it and yeah that's okay and that's okay <laughs> i feel like this has just been a little bit of therapy for me <laughs> so that is our school survival skills for this week tune into our next episode to get some more pearls of wisdom <laughs> 
um, caveat on that. We are still fairly early into our career, so we're still learning all the time. So we're just trying to pass on what we learned as we were going through the earlier mm. stages of our career. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've loved this. This has been fab. Yes. Thank you, guys. <laughs> We've loved having you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. Please, will you come back on? Yeah, definitely. I feel like I feel like we just need more time with you to like dig deeper. Yeah, you guys are my favourite podcast as well. So yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> I also feel like Anthea's Anthea's voice is a lot nicer to listen to than ours as well. <laughs> oh, that your your true. voice is so nice. People are gonna love it. Yeah. 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 No, I honestly I was saying to Molly earlier, like I think the reason I love this podcast so much is because I've got such a thing for northern accents and it's just so soothing. <laughs> Stuff! I find your voice really soothing. Whereas I'm like the scouse and Molly's proper burra. 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 But our American listeners are going to love your accent. Our American listeners are going to go mad for it. So British. Yeah. Uh, while we're talking yeah. about our listeners, hi to our new German listeners. And our Irish Hello. listeners. Hello. Molly, we're taking over the world. We are taking wow. over the world. International. Right. But thank you so much for being on our podcast. And we really yeah. want you to come back in the future. Please Absolutely. come back. Thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah. Um, and until next week, guys, you've been listening to Requires Improvement. If you don't already, please follow us on social medias at Blackboard Theatre UK. You can rate us five stars on iTunes or even write a lovely little review. We got a fab review last week. Someone wrote, took the time to write it. So please write reviews. We like them. And also make sure, if you don't already, to follow or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But until next week, we'll see you later. Bye. <laughs>